So, um, did you just visit the Archives Open House? I did, yeah, it was excellent. I love this time every year because it's fun to see how everyone has a different perspective to their work and they interact with different objects and something totally different might touch them year to year. It's lovely to bring history back. It is. It, is. <laughs> it also feels very real to have that experience actually being near an object of that time. Hello, I'm Jonathan Eder. Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston. And welcome to this episode, in which we explore what went on recently at the library's archives, Open House. It's a one-day affair held in connection with National Archives Month. It's a cherished occasion at the library in which employees at the headquarters of the Christian Science Church in Boston, or the Mother Church, have the opportunity to get up close to the history of the organization of which they are a part, the history that the library helps preserve. In this episode, we will bring you into the Archives Open House experience with a sampling of interviews with library staff who selected objects from the library's collections to display and recordings of attendees responding to what they were encountering. So what was featured at the open house, and in what ways were the items that were brought out of importance? To look at those questions, I'm so delighted to have with me two of the lead organizers of the open house, Alison Kaberski and Alison Lazar. Alison Kaberski is often fondly referred to as Alison K, so that we don't get too confused <laughs> with our concentration of Alisons at the library. But Allison Kay is Manager of Records Management and Special Collections at the library. Welcome, Allison. Happy to be here. And also, it's so wonderful to have you, Allison Lazar. You are Senior Manager, Research and Collections. Welcome, Allison. So glad to be here as well. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, it's a wonderful occasion, the Archives Open House. Everyone looks forward to it. Why is it for employees at the Mother Church in Boston, or at the headquarters of the Christian Science Church exclusively? So part of the reason is because we don't have an opportunity to interact with a lot of our employees on a regular basis. You know, their work just doesn't overlap with any material in our collections. And so it's sort of the one day a year where they can come visit us. It's a day for them mm -hmm. to really get to visit and see some of the materials. Yeah. How do you conceive what you want to have on display? Is there a theme? Is there a, a vision? Um, how, do, how does it come together? The, the theme is employees select whatever speaks to them, I see. whatever they think is really cool, whatever mm -hmm. they think is visually attractive, whatever they think is important for people to know about. Not only did you kind of organize the Archives Open House, but you also contributed elements and items to what was on display, as did many others from library staff. I got some recordings around some of these items from attendees. They were kind of on the fly. They're a little rough, but uh, I wanted to be unobtrusive, kind of sneak up on people. <laughs> 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 Just to get the most kind of authentic response and thoughts that were going on, although sometimes I did prompt people with, with questions as well. But Alison Lazar, you were heavily represented with items at the open house, as, as well as in these conversations that I dropped in on. So I thought maybe I'd share a couple of those before we get into that 
What were your choices and why did you make them? Mm -hmm. The items that I selected are all considered character-defining elements, which basically means that they are original to the edifices of the Mother Church or to the Christian Science Publishing House. They are architectural elements or furnishings that somehow define the look and feel of those buildings as they were originally done. So I've got some organ pipes from the Mother Church Extension, and I've got a flame-shaped torch globe from the Mother Church original edifice. Well, let's listen to the recording. I know what this is. It's a light. Right outside of both the Norway and the Plaza doors are those bronze torches ah. with globes that look like flames. Oh, this is the original. Really? The ones okay. that are there now are newer reproductions. Oh, wow. Aren't they more globy? No. Or are they like that? No, they're like that. They still look like flames, but they're a little more frosted, less clear. Because I had that position just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Are these organ things from the original church or from which church? The organs that are in the mother church are not actually original anymore. They've been updated, updated a, a couple of, you know, two or three times. Anyway, these wooden ones are from the original Hook and Hastings organ from the 1906 extension of the mother church. Uh, it's no longer a Hook and Hastings organ. No, no. <laughs> Let's jump into some more samplings of interviews with library staff who selected objects for display at the archive's open house. And we'll also listen in to some conversations of attendees about what they were experiencing at the event. I'm here with Dan Bullman, digital and photo collections archivist at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Dan, you contributed an item from the library's collections to the recently held Archives Open House at the library. And I thought you might be interested in hearing some of the response that your item got from attendees, visitors who came to the Open House. But first, tell us what it was that you contributed, why you contributed it, why it was meaningful for you, and why you thought it might be meaningful for others. So the item I contributed was a photograph of Gordon Converse and another photojournalist standing next to the pyramids in Egypt. Mm. And Converse was a photojournalist for the Christian Science Monitor for over 40 years. He joined the staff shortly after serving in the Navy in World War II in the Pacific, worked at the Monitor for over four decades, traveling the world, taking photographs for the newspaper. and. It was significant for me because the Converse collection, which we have here at the library, was one of the first collections I worked on when I first joined the library. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've always liked that photograph. I find it very striking, showing someone out in the field doing their work, also in front of a, a very recognizable historical landmark like the pyramids. It was something that I thought was very visually striking while also tying into the history of the Christian Science Monitor. So that's why I chose it. And did you expect it to attract the attention of attendees? I did, yeah. I thought it was sort of eye-catching, thinking that it would spark some interest. I know you recorded some, some tidbits. Well, maybe you didn't expect quite this interaction. So I overheard you talking about Gordon Converse. He was my grandfather. Really? Oh, my yep. oh, lovely. Yep. You know, I don't really have too many memories of him, honestly, yeah. because 
he passed when I was 10. My grandmother later on just told like so many stories about the places that he went, both individually and places they went together. Because she would sometimes accompany him on trips and she had some stories about some of the places they went to, like China and India and just a whole range of countries. He was probably in maybe almost 200 countries, literally. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. So, Dan, you get the feel of the open house with the background noise, but this individual coming up and wanting to make this statement about his grandfather being represented here in the archives open house. Um, That was extraordinary. I, I yeah, that's incredible. It's it's cool to see the personal connection. That was definitely unexpected. But what he speaks to is is absolutely true, those stories that he shared. I mean, Converse traveled all over Asia and Africa and pretty much every continent taking photos for the monitor. And he had such a incredible attention to detail in his work. And one of the things that he said was that he always was seeking out stories that showed a positive side of humanity. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of how he viewed the work that he was doing, was trying to seek out those stories uh, wherever he was traveling around the globe. And thankfully, we've been able to preserve a lot of his work in the collections. We've digitized a large portion of his photographs and storing them in our archives as well, the physical versions of them. So we've been able to preserve a lot of that work that he's done internationally. Well, it was great that this individual saw something related to his own grandfather. Yeah. uh, (laughs) So uh, congratulations on selecting something that was so uh, personally meaningful to somebody at the the open house. Jen, Jen, could I just have a moment of your time? Yes, of course. I want to talk to you about the object that you chose for the archives open house. But first, just a little bit about you, Jennifer DiPercio, You are Assistant Records Analyst at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. What does that mean, and how does that work relate to the object, the document you chose to feature at the open house? So as the Assistant Records Analyst, when the researchers receive queries, they often need documents to verify Mm. information to answer those queries. So they'll fill out a review form, and then they'll send the documents to us for review And we get to decide with the help of the department that owns the material, whether or not those documents can be opened to answer those questions for the patrons. Okay. So you you reach beyond the parameters of the library sometimes to find these things out everywhere within the church. We often work with departments to get their insight and permission to share any of the records that aren't opened yet. Okay. So what did you choose for the open house and why did it come to your attention in the first place? I get to look at a lot of different things and often things that I'm not expecting. And for this particular object, I really like poetry. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was really fascinating to see the behind the scenes of the poetry and sort of that creative process. So what was this poetry that you discovered? Uh, So the report is about him for 12. Okay. The poem is called, Oh Dreamer, Leave Thy Dreams. It was written by Rosa Maud Turner. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I know 412, one of my favorites. 412 has this wonderful musical setting of Londonderry Air, known to many people as Danny Boy, I think. It's wonderful to have a hymn where you can kind of express all of that feeling that's in that melody. I did not uh, showcase the actual poem or the hymn, just the report. 
that was used uh, to verify the query. Okay. So did you realize that this hymn would be well-known to attendees who are coming to the open house? Yes. Okay. So when we were working with the department that owns it, I was told that there were a variety of people throughout the organization that would be interested in knowing more about it, which is why I was like, I, I have to show it then. Okay. Well, I think you'll be pleased to hear this little clip of people engaging with uh, the report that you put on display about the history of O Dreamer and how it made its way into the Christian Science Hymnal. I learned more about the story of um, Rosamund Turner's O Dreamer, Leave Thy Dreams, um, that she wrote the words very quickly and wasn't even convinced that the tune that she had been asked to put them to would be used, but through her humility, it was clear that it would be. So it was really fun to see that. Someone asked Miss Turner, who in those days was extremely shy, what she was doing about the situation. She should know that because it was God-inspired, it had its place in our hymnal. So Miss Turner prayed about the problem, and eventually then it got in. It's a meaningful hymn to, to a lot of people. Can you just read a little bit of the report? Someone asked Miss Turner, who in those days was extremely shy, what she was doing about the situation. She answered, well, if it's right for it to be included in the hymnal, it will be. It was pointed out to her that that was fatalism. Instead, she should know that because it was God-inspired, it had its place in our hymnal. Our Miss Turner prayed about the problem. Well, thank you for choosing that material because I think it was helpful to people. Yes, of course. The Archives Open House is a real potpourri of different objects, and many of them are displayed in close proximity to one another. So this invites attendees to kind of respond to them sometimes collectively. So it was fun to see some examples of that while I was roaming and picking up sound bites. Did, did you see this? Yeah. <laughs> right? Who knew? It is. Adam and Lillian Dickey. They went on a trip to Hawaii and they were able to escort its last queen, Leah Lukalani, and her lady in waiting. <laughs> well, I was completely surprised to learn that Adam Dickey had escorted the last queen of Hawaii. I had no idea he made a trip to Hawaii and certainly not that he had met someone like that. And that was really fun. And I also enjoyed seeing the beautiful turkey feather fan that was given to Mrs. Eddie as a gift. It really surprised me how well the condition held up over the years. It looks like it was made just the other week, but it was from many, many years ago. So that was great. And I think just in general, to see how vast the collection really is. Often when I think about the Mary Baker Library, I think about letters or articles, but I didn't realize how many physical objects are actually in the collection, too. I have with me uh, the two members of the library who are responsible for those two selections. Rivi Feinsilber, assistant archivist at the library. Thanks for spending a little time to talk about your object. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and also with me is Tom Cleaver, library research associate. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. Which, which was which for you? Who is responsible for the Dickie photo and who's responsible for the turkey fan? I chose the Dickie photo. Okay. And the turkey feather is mine. <laughs> okay. So did you know that your objects were going to be right next to each other when the design of the open house took place? I had no idea that this was <laughs> going to happen, but it seems like it was a proper placement that worked out. 
Yeah, I did. I did not know about the placement. Well, it it really attracted a lot of attention. Rivi, why did you want to showcase this image of Adam Dickey for the Archives Open House? I fell in love with this picture a few months ago. The library put it on our Instagram and Facebook uh, for the Mary Baker Eddy Library social media pages for National Hawaii Day. And (laughs) I had accidentally come upon this photo and just the fact that Mr. and Mrs. Dickey escorted the last queen of Hawaii and her lady-in-waiting. I just thought so much history there, you know, Adam Dickey being the secretary to Mrs. Eddy and also on the board of directors, prominent figure. And together, I just thought it was a very striking photo, particularly also because the queen was a very private person. Mm. Um, She was not one to go out or let people approach her. So when I did some digging, I didn't find much. He and his wife went to Hawaii on a personal trip. Oh, I see. So we don't have any records of this event other than the photo. I think it also encompasses that tension in history where you find really great stories, but you just don't have enough to explain it all. So it's a little bit mysterious, but it's a little bit telling. So I just thought it would elicit interest because of the mysteriousness of it. Yeah, well, it did. Who knew? Well, Adam Dickey, as you rightfully point out, is a very significant figure in the history of Christian science. So for this open house that is done especially for employees at the Mother Church, he would be significant. And I think um, this was a revelation for people. So terrific. And and Tom, how did you happen upon this turkey fan? And, and why did you feel that this is what you wanted to bring out of the collection? And, and did it require any kind of special treatment in order to put it out for public view? Seeing it for the first time in person, the immaculate condition that it managed to be in yet after all of these years was incredible to me. It's over 120 years old at this point. It's incredible. And it still looks like it could have been made last week. Yeah. And it's just so interesting to me to know what the proper preservation methods that went into keeping items like this. This turkey feather fan was not what you might immediately expect when you think of something that you're going to hold in one hand and use for cooling yourself off. If you're not aware, turkey feathers are quite large, Mm. and it's going to be quite a lot to handle that you might not expect. It's going to be much larger than your hand and much larger than you would practically want to hold. So you're going to get quite the workout using it. (laughs) That's for sure. Why was it that Mary Baker Eddy had a turkey feather fan? It's really interesting how this managed to make its way to her. There was an individual in South Carolina who had been making these for 65 years. And two of Mary Baker Eddy's students had procured this turkey feather fan from this African-American individual, and it had made its way back as a gift to Mary Baker Eddy. In the same gift of this fan, there was also a letter that these students sent that talked about, one, where this came from, but also that in South Carolina around these plantations, there was a growing interest among the African-American communities for Christian science and a growing hunger to hear both Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy and the Bible as well. I want to add one thing. 
Jonathan, when you were talking about how Adam Dickey is such a prominent figure about his work within the Christian Science Church, I feel like this photo also humanizes him Mm. because just like us, we have things that we don't post on social media. You know, we post our lives all the time, but yet there's always these events or travels or activities that are kind of lost. And I think this photo shows a little bit that as much as we can know about a historical figure, there's still so much we don't know. What is the kind of feel of that occasion? What comes across, at least to you, when you look at that picture? I feel like there's a sense of honor that he gets to escort the queen and her lady-in-waiting. And I wish I could really figure out how it came to be, because as I said earlier, she was a very private person. And her lady-in-waiting was very protective as well. So that also, I think, speaks to Mr. and Mrs. Dickey that they would allow that. A lovely image. It's always fascinating to see how the history of this church intersects with the larger history of the world. And and that's certainly something that comes out at the Archives Open House. Mm -hmm. I think that's why the Open House is so great, because it's more than just documents. This one piece can actually connect to so much more outside of the church. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't always realize that. I'm glad we're able to show them that. Yeah. These items really illustrate a picture's worth a thousand words. We have thousands of objects. How many stories can we tell with that and how they connect to each other? Fantastic. So, Alison Kaversky, Alison K., another item that generated some interesting interaction was an interleaved science in health. So, what is that? What is an interleaved science in health? And why was it part of the open house? As far as we know, this particular edition was only produced for internal use. Oh, I see. But it's one of the really interesting examples of how the church has produced different editions of science and health for very specific purposes. Right. Well, there was an interesting interaction. I was kind of involved with it around this display item. It was so interesting to see this science and health. It was the interleaved edition. And so it has two open pages. One side has text, the other side is just blank for note-taking. And I never would have come up with that myself, but what a great way to just be able to record thoughts right next to the text that um, the one's reading about. Just fun to think about that and the depth of thought that people must have brought to their note-taking. You know, I'm, I'm reluctant to mark up my science in health. I guess I shouldn't be. I you know, <laughs> sort of feel like I shouldn't despoil it in any, any way. But. Maybe if you had an interleaved edition, I mean, you'd have plenty of space to mark up, so you'd <laughs> yeah. almost have to. Maybe there's one available on eBay. Right. <laughs> well, I guess from what you said, it's, there's probably not one on eBay since it was only for internal use. Seems like it most likely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. But it gave me pause, you know, to to think that maybe I should be more dynamically involved with sort of recording thoughts, et cetera, as as I read Science and Health. It had an impact. That's great. I mean, that's what we really hope to do with the items that we select. You know, everyone selects something for a different reason. Sometimes it's something that they just did a, a project on, and we hope that the things that we select are things that people haven't seen before and that they will, you know, inspire thought or interest in a particular aspect of history or our collections. I also love this camera 
And the photograph looks to it. That must have been the last word in photography. So I'm here with Meredith Telshow, assistant registrar and collection specialist here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. So Meredith, you, you heard how people were interacting with this camera. Why did you find it special? We have this camera in our collection because it was owned by Calvin Fry. Right. And Fry worked for Eddie from 1882 to 1910, longer than anyone else. And this is probably not the first camera that he had. Right. So he captured 20 years, 20-plus years worth of activity going on in her household. This camera in particular is a Pony Primo number six Leatherview camera sold by the Eastman Kodak Company from 1903 to 1906. And it had longer bellows than with previous models. So it accommodated a longer lens and was designed for telephoto photography. Mm. So this higher quality camera, along with that telephoto lens capability, made it possible for a photographer to produce a wider variety of work. So he did take a few photos of Eddie, as well as he did self-posed photos of himself. (laughs) Nice. Which is like like a precursor to the modern-day selfie. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, it's also fascinating to know that we have images of Eddie taken by somebody who probably knew her as well Mm -hmm. as anyone. You know, one of those voices remarked on a photo that's Mm -hmm. adjacent to the camera, presumably a photo taken by the, the camera, what does that photo capture? That photo captures Mary Baker Eddy relaxing in a chair in her study at Pleasant View. This is a picture that was taken by Calvin Fry. It's a black and white photographic print made from a negative glass plate, and it measures approximately four and a half by six and a half inches. So this particular photo, even though we aren't probably used to seeing it in a photo form, is a well-publicized portrait of Mrs. Eddy Mm. because it's the source image for a painting that was done of Eddy by Bethuel Moore in 1951. So it was done much later than the photo was taken. Yeah. And this painting is featured on the dust jacket cover for Lyman Powell's book, Mary Baker Eddy, A Life-Size Portrait, when it was republished in 1991 by the Christian Science Publishing Society. The portrait can also be viewed on the library's website under the Mary Baker Eddy menu. And if you click on Deep Read, you'll pull that up on that page that tells a little bit more about Mrs. Eddy. Nice. Thanks so much. You're both welcome. It's a (laughs) pleasure being here. Allison Kay and Allison, I so enjoyed revisiting those collection items and moments from the Archives Open House. They represented just a small portion of what was on display and were not meant to suggest that these were the best or most popular items in the open house, just what I happened to chance upon when visiting and interacting with attendees. Something else that I should mention is that all of the items that were talked about today actually are available for patrons to come see if they visit us in person. Great. Thank you for reminding listeners about that. We always hope that seekers and scholars might just be that little bit of an extra inducement for people to come to the library and and see what we have, because we're always very happy to welcome people. Absolutely. Thanks, Allison and Allison, and to all those contributors to the 
Archives Open House 2022 at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I love learning about the staff, what they thought was interesting yeah, and how they describe it and learning about what they do. It's really fun. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seekers and Scholars as we revisited the Mary Baker Eddy Library's Archives Open House. We hope you enjoyed the excerpts we featured of library staff talking about the items they put on display and of attendees engaging with what was exhibited from the library's collections. Remember, if you have questions or interests about which you'd like to communicate to the library, don't hesitate to be in touch by emailing to research at mbelibrary.org. Please join us for our next episode when we welcome in members of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers team to get a deeper understanding of this extensive collection on the history of Mary Baker Eddy and the early decades of the Christian Science Movement. We will be highlighting recently profiled letters that give a vivid picture of what was being communicated to and from Mary Baker Eddy during this period. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2023.